0: you're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the Greater Pittsburgh Metropolitan Area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Heavenly Father, Lord, as our texts are many this morning, Father, we begin um, by simply praying and asking for your blessing this morning, Father, as we work our way through your word this morning, Father. We pray that you'd be pleased to bless us and be pleased to speak to us through your word, that you'd be pleased to instruct us, O Father, and that you would be pleased to instruct us uh, through these truths that we have gathered. Uh, The sum of your word is truth, O Lord, and we ask, O Father, that you would sanctify us in your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Um, this morning we stop our our uh, study of the Lord's Prayer, if you will, in order to begin putting together what we've been discussing up to this point, which has largely been our approach, um, our approach to prayer. And um, if you look at the, this this outline or this handout that you have here, is something I've been using for quite some time, not in this finalized form, but in uh, in, in many forms, and um, I, would, I really have profited so much from not just this one. I have many others like these that are on various subjects. But um, I, I'm hoping it will bless you in the same way it has served to bless me. Um, now, before we begin, you'll notice in the shaded green area on the left, there's a couple of notes there. Um, I, I can't emphasize this too much. This handout is just simply a device to provide us with fodder for prayer. It's not meant to be a prayer that we merely read and recite. Um, so I, I mean, even though when you, you know, when you start working through something like this, that's probably what's initially going to happen. Uh, but that's not its intention. It's not a pre-written prayer that we would pray. And the last thing we want our, do, our minds to do is to be disconnected from it. Is That's not what this is. Uh, that, that would be a misuse of this. Um, and again, you know, the second bullet point there is these words can be used to warm our hearts, actually, for prayer and for worship. I, I think you'll find uh, that that'll happen. Um, and uh, worship should always be a, a um, close companion to prayer. Um, oftentimes, when we find ourselves uh, in that posture of prayer, worship is nearby, and oftentimes you kind of go back and forth. Um, you can actually be doing both at the same time, and um, don't think that you have to use this thing in its entirety every time. Uh, it's it's lengthy, and there's you know some circumstances don't permit us to go into this. Uh, all of this every time. Uh, there are a lot of mornings where I, I would go through the whole thing. Um, there are many other mornings where maybe I would only start with a part of it. Um, and some of you are looking at, well, how do we use it? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, why use this? Well, uh, maybe you've had the experience, uh, imagine you've had the experience where, okay, it's morning time, it's prayer time, and you're getting ready to pray, you put your hands together, you bow your heads and it's crickets, right? Has anyone ever had that opportunity or had that experience where you can't really think of anything to pray for, even though there's there's so much to pray for that you really don't have time to pray for it all, but your mind goes blank. Uh, or you find yourself saying the same thing you've said maybe 600 times, and that's the commonality of that actually is when we sometimes have a tendency to be disconnected, Um our hearts become disconnected. Our, um, our minds can become disengaged, and it can become mechanical uh, at that point. Uh, what this is is a storage of fodder, if you will, uh, to be used just to begin uh, approaching God in prayer. And um, again, these references have helped me um, immensely. Now, you'll notice in the um, prose part of this, before we even get to that, look at the title, Approaching God. Notice the footnote there. Uh, this has been adopted from Matthew Henry, um, a book I would mentioned a couple weeks ago, A Method of Prayer. Uh, he's not the one that I got the initial idea for this from, though. I was studying John Knox, actually. Uh, John Knox wrote a lot of these kinds of things for his congregations and for, uh, for himself as well and made use of them. And he really was the one that I... Uh, Uh, I I think that I I first got this idea from. um, But then I come to discover that Matthew Henry wrote an entire book on this, um, as I've said. So this has been adopted from a method of prayer. You can can find those books. You can get them electronically for next to nothing. um, And you can see if you would get his book, you can see where I'm getting much of this from. Now, if you look at the prose part of this, you'll notice a lot of the words are italicized. All the scripture references are in italics, uh, italics, and you'll notice that it's almost completely God's Word from the beginning to the end. Um, I I interject a few comments. Some of them are from Matthew Henry. Some of them are my own. Uh, But for the most part, they are scripture references. I started with uh, just one section of Matthew Henry's book and have added to it. Um, And before we go any further... I know many of you are familiar with praying through the Psalms uh, where you open up a psalm and you basically just kind of pray through the verses of the psalm. How many have done that? Uh, I know some of you are familiar with that. Um, I don't know if we've ever stopped, you know, if we've ever asked ourselves, okay, is there biblical warrant for praying that way? Do we have biblical warrant for praying that way? Do we have biblical warrant for doing what I'm introducing to us? This morning, And the answer is we do. We, we actually do. And I want to show you where. If you go back to Exodus 34, which we began our service with this morning, I'm just going to show you a couple of passages here. Exodus 34, a well-known passage, uh, verses 6 and 7, Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. I just want to show you a few things that are going on here in Scripture that gives us a biblical warrant for what we're doing. I'd say more than a warrant, actually, it's a biblical encouragement to do what we're doing. Um, If you look at verse 6, now what's going on here is the Lord's making good on his promise. Moses is asked in verse 18 of chapter 33, Moses says, Lord, show me your glory, and God agrees. And he's making good on this, and in verse 6, he passes before Moses, and he makes this proclamation, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, Slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, with those words in mind, keep your place in Exodus 34 and turn to Psalm 86 psalm 86 and again what i'm introducing here uh, to you is a form it's not an absolute it's a form uh, we always need to be mindful of that even the lord's prayer is a form not an absolute what do i mean by that well after the lord introduces the what we call the lord's prayer we don't When we read the book of Acts, we don't find the apostles following that real closely in their prayers, do we? I don't know if you've ever noticed that or not, but we don't. Uh, It's a form. It's not an absolute. It doesn't mean this is the way you pray every time. Uh, There's a number of forms out there. Some of us, we were talking a couple of Wednesdays ago, I think, about ACTS. Uh, It's an acronym um, that some of us might be familiar with, where you have adoration, uh, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Um, And that's a great form. Um, But it's not an absolute. A lot of times you'll find the psalmist following that where they begin with adoration, uh, but not every time. I point out to you you in Psalm 86, David begins with petition. Look, he just rushes right into petition. He says, incline your ear, O Lord, verse 1, and answer me, for I'm poor and needy. Preserve my life. You see, he's running right into supplication. He's running right into that. So we have a a, a prayer here, and if you look to verse 14... You see the problem, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But look what he does in verse 15. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. What's he doing? He's praying God's words back to him, isn't he? You see that? Now, if you're familiar with the Psalms, you'll, 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 you already know that. You'll get that. But I wanted us to be able to say, you know what? Okay, this is, this is, this is our foundation. Now, does David have a biblical warrant for doing what he's doing? You better believe he does because this has already been established before David. Turn to Numbers 14. Numbers 14. Keep, keep Exodus 34 and go to Numbers 14. Numbers 14, you know, this is in the wake of a really unfortunate incident where the spies go in, they spy out the land of Canaan, they come back, they bring a bad report, and they're rebelling against the leadership. And uh, in verse 11, the Lord says to Moses, this is Numbers 14, verse 11, how long will this people despise me and how long will they not believe in me in spite of all of the signs that I've done among them? verse 12, I'll strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Now, this is a sore word, isn't it? And this causes Moses to pray, to intercede. His intercession begins in verse 13. There's many lessons in prayer we could learn from this, and perhaps we should return to this at another time and mind some of those lessons. But in the course of his intercession, look at verse 17. In the course of this intercession... Moses says, now please let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, saying the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty. See now, Moses is going down into verse 7 with this. He will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. What's Moses doing? He's repeating the words that God gave to him. So David would have had David would have known this story. There's no question he would have known this story. There's no question he would have known this practice. And um, this gives us one big, large volume of fodder for our prayer, doesn't it? And that's what you have just a small sampling here um, of verses that speak to approaching God in prayer. Um, And so I just wanted to take a minute before I went through all these verses with you to show that we have biblical warrant for this, that we have, uh, you know, uh, uh, we can make more than a biblical argument. We have biblical examples uh, of men of faith doing just this. So with that in mind, we can't get too in-depth with each one of these verses because there's a lot of verses there to cover, but let's just take a look at them. I'll make some comments on each one as we go through. Notice how it starts, and this is my handout. Uh, Heavenly Father. And of course, starting out the way Jesus teaches us to start. You know, uh, He teaches us to pray our Father. I guess I could have wrote our Father. I can't remember at this point if the Heavenly Father is Matthew Henry's words or if those are mine. I don't remember would have to look at the at the book and look and compare again. Uh, either way, we're addressing our we're addressing the Father, and then the uh, quotation from Lamentations three forty one. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to you who are in heaven. That's a combination of Matthew six nine and Lamentations three forty one. Um, Lamentations three forty one may not be as familiar uh, with everyone uh, here this morning and. The book of Lamentations is just what it suggests. It's a book of five poems of some severely grief-stricken, gut-wrenching poems that were written in the aftermath of the fall of Jerusalem at the hand of the Babylonians. It was a brutal, uh, brutal, destructive um, uh, tragedy that takes place there. And chapter three, sitting in the center of the book, uh, is the longest chapter in the book, and it has led many to conclude that it really is central to the book. I think it's a pretty good assumption that it's central to the book. And in the midst of chapter three, and you don't need to turn to Lamentations. I mean, if we start turning to all these passages, it's all we're going to do is look for stuff this morning. So, um, but in in. Chapter 3 of Lamentations, in verse 40, we read, Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. So here we have this, uh, this call, if you will, uh, to return to the Lord. How are we going to return to the Lord? Well, verse 41, Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. What does that mean? What is that expression saying? That expression is a saying. It's a a way of expressing the posture of prayer. It's a saying that's a a way of expressing the posture of prayer. We could put it this way. It's a solemn expression that is used by Scripture for prayer. For example, and you don't need to turn there. Just listen to Psalm 141, verse 2. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. You see, the prayer and the lifting up of the hands is in parallel in that verse. So this lifting up of hands, if you will, uh, this lifting up of hands is an expression, if you will, a verbal expression uh, of prayer. Psalm 28, verse 2. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help. When I lift up my hands... See, it's a, it's a solemn expression of prayer. When I lift up my hands towards your most holy sanctuary, we could add to that Psalm 63.4 or Psalm 134.2, but in case we think this is only an Old Testament thing, Paul brings it into the New Testament. In 1 Timothy 2.8, he says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger and quarreling. So what's Paul doing? He's grabbing that expression from the Old Testament. He's bringing it in to his writing uh, in Timothy. So we have this expression, if you will, of prayer. Uh, Let us lift up our hearts and hands to you. Notice in Lamentations, they're not just talking about lifting of the hands, but they're talking about the lifting of the hearts. And, of course, by mentioning both heart and hand, uh, it's touching not just the outer person, not just the behavior, not just the external, but it's also touching the internal as well. And we could put it this way, the whole person. Uh, it's an expression here that touches the whole person. So the heart and the hand are engaged, if you will, in this prayer to the Father. Does that make sense? So what are we saying? Lord Father, Heavenly Father, let us lift up our hearts and hands to you. Notice it's plural. You know, I made some noise about that. I think it was last week about our Lord's Prayer being plural. I think it was last week. I'm starting to forget where I said what, but um, it's plural. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to you who are in heaven. Now, um, let's just take a quick look at Matthew 6, 9. You don't need to turn there, but you'll see the part, who art in heaven. I'm quoting it as we're familiar with it. I'm quoting it from the King James translation. Uh, The word art in there, in case anyone's wondering, what is art? You know, in our culture today, when someone mentions art, Schein goes to school and he says art, what's his friends going to think he's talking about? They're going to be thinking he's talking about some product of someone's imagination, whether it be music or drawing or or something that they've made, right? We don't have a tendency to use art in any other way in our culture, but this old King James um, translation, art is a uh, it's just an uh, obsolete form of the verb to be, if you will. I just thought I'd throw that out there in case anyone's wondering, what's this art? Uh, uh, what is this art in there? Who art? Um, a quick comment about in heaven, though. I think a lot of times when we think about our Father who art in heaven, we're thinking about where he dwells. Uh, but um, that's not the full scope of what we should be thinking about when we pray our Father who art in heaven. Uh, The the old preachers were fond of saying heaven rules over earth, doesn't it? And our Father, who is in heaven, okay, stands supreme and superior in all of his attributes. It's, It's an expression, I think, that has more to do with his power and his attributes than it does particularly where he dwells. He is a heavenly Father. He is a superior father. He is a powerful father and you can just go down uh, down the list if you will. He uh uh he is majestic, he's grand, etc., etc., etc. So, in combining Lamentations 341 with 69, we're lifting our whole person to God in heaven. Matthew Henry writes these words, praying is lifting up the soul to God as to our Father in heaven. And the soul that hopes to be with God in heaven forever will thus, by frequent acts of devotion, be still learning the way thither and pressing forward in that way. What's he saying there? He's saying we need to study this. (laughs) This needs to be studied so that we can press forward, so that we can advance in this work, if you will, in this exercise of having a holy conversation with our Lord. Does that make sense? And that's what we're pressing this morning. That's what we're pressing to do. So we're not merely lifting our souls to heaven. We're looking to the Father's divinity, His power, His attributes. Or our Father is heavenly. He's above the heavens. Uh, what are we doing? We're, we're, we're lifting hands. We're lifting hearts. We're lifting our souls, our whole person, between our Father who art in heaven. If you go back at my outline again where my handout... The next line there is, Awake my whole being, which comes from Psalm 57, verse 8. Uh, Awake my whole being. You'll notice there's a footnote after being. I give that to you because I'm taking the margin translation out of the ESV there, uh, whole being. If you have an ESV, you'll be aware that uh, Psalm 57, 8 has, Awake my glory, but it has a footnote. And if you look at the margin... It will say whole being. And I'm just using the margin, uh, if you will. Um, And and the reason being, what's the difference? Um, It's saying the same thing. Because if we can think about the the glory in this verse, uh, what is the glory of man in this sense? The glory of man is his soul. When a soul departs from a body, what happens to the body? The body's lifeless at that point, right? But the soul's still alive. It's the greater part, right? Not to lessen the body. Uh, We're a body-soul unity, Uh, but the soul is spoken of as the greater part, if you will. The soul there is uh, the glory, if you will. Uh, But with soul, we could say whole person. Uh, What exactly is it that makes each one of us who we are? I mean, we'll still be who we are, uh, you know, if, if we were to pass away this afternoon and go with the Lord, be with Him in glory and await our resurrection, uh, our resurrection bodies, while we're in what we call the intermediate state, we're bodiless souls, we will still be who we are in that state, even though we are, uh, for the moment, uh, taken away from our bodies, does that make sense? So still, it's not a whole person in the fact that we're complete. We're not going to be whole and complete uh, until we're united with our full resurrection body. We're going to be incomplete until that point. Uh, but in this sense, uh, we could say uh, it's the whole, uh, the whole being, if you will. Awake, my whole being. Now, what is, what is David doing in Psalm 57, verse 8 there? He's stirring himself, calling his whole being, both body and soul, to be engaged in prayer. Um, he's, you could say, arousing. He's a stirring. He's, he's uh, stirring himself, if you will. He's asking the Lord to stir him to awake. Um, and again, I would say whole being here, too. Let's put it this way. Um, do, do we want our souls awakened while our bodies remain asleep? Uh, the answer is no. That would be like a dream, wouldn't it? Do we want our bodies to be awake while our souls la la land somewhere else? Well, that would be the mechanical thoughtless prayer we're talking about, where our lips are moving and saying things that they're in the habit of saying while we're thinking about something else. Uh, What's going on here is we want our whole whole being, if you will. We want both body and soul awakened and stirred to this work, if you will, uh, of prayer, and we're calling on the Lord to do this work. Um, awaken us uh, uh, stir us if you will Um, back to my hand out there after psalm 57 verse 8 let us arouse ourselves to take hold of you isaiah 64 7 i got that from matthew henry i remember it well because when i first read that i thought that oh that's that, that's, that's really, that is truly, truly wonderful. You don't need to turn to Psalm 64-7, but what's interesting in, or I'm sorry, Isaiah 64-7, because what's interesting in Isaiah 64-7, I'll read the verse to you, and listen what's going on here. In this verse, Isaiah says, there is no one who calls upon your name. He's, he's speaking to the Lord. He's saying, there is no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you. Now, this is an indictment where uh, Isaiah is saying, Lord, there's no one who arouses himself to take hold of you. Now, what is presupposed by this indictment? What's presupposed by this indictment is there ought to be somebody who's doing this, right? Uh, And that's where this is coming from. There is no one who is doing this, but there ought to be somebody who's doing this. There ought to be somebody who is rousing himself to take hold of you, and that's the inference that's being used right here. I remember reading that when I first got Matthew Henry's book and I was just perusing through it. I remember coming, that really struck me. That's not a place where I would have went if I were writing this. And it really speaks to just how well uh, he knew his Bible. and so here, you see, let us arouse ourselves to take hold of you. This is that which displeased you. I mean, in that Isaiah context, I mean, if you read it this afternoon, you look at it, and I would suggest as you start working your way through this in your private time, go to the go to the original context of each of these verses and look at the original context in each of these verses. And you're going to see that the Lord has in many ways hidden himself from them. They're not taking a hold of him because he's hiding his face uh, from them. And of course, what are we? What are we? What are we doing here? Well, we're asking for the opposite. Now, we don't want the Lord to hide His face from us. We want Him. We want Him to work and stir our hearts and arouse our hearts that we would take a hold of Him. How do we take a hold of Him? We take a hold of Him by taking a hold of His promises, don't we? Um, we take a hold of him by taking a hold of him in prayer. So that is what's going on there. So, Heavenly Father, let us lift up our hearts and hands to you who art in heaven. Awake our whole being. Let us arouse ourselves to take a hold of you. Verse, uh, 20, Psalm 27, verse 8 is the next. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Now, this phrase, seek your face, expresses he expresses a number of things. Uh, a deep, uh, close, and intimate personal encounter is what it is really what it's speaking to. Seek my face. You have said, seek my face. David says this in the midst of Psalm 27. You have said, seek my face. Now, there are many verses in God's word that calls us to seek him. You don't need to turn to these, but listen to Psalm 105, verse 4. It says, Seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence continually. So there's there's the word of God calling us to seek the Lord, right? Seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence continually. Or Isaiah 55, verses 6 to 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This whole idea where the Word of God is calling us to do what? To seek him. To seek his face. No, when David says in Psalm 27 8, you have said, Seek my face. The Lord could have uh, very easily have said to him, Seek my face. Uh, he could be making a reference to some particular uh, converse that he had with the Lord. Um, but the word of God in general calls us to seek him. Jesus puts it probably the, the, the most, uh, probably the most simplistic way I can think of where Jesus just says simply this, Come to me. That's about as simple as it gets, isn't it? He says, Come to me. Well, What's that mean? Come then, seek me. David says, you have said, seek my face. And David responds by saying in Psalm 27, verse 8, my heart says to you, Lord, your face do I seek. See, that's what we're doing. See, Hopefully that'll give you some fodder. Maybe tomorrow morning when you've got your cup of coffee out and you're getting ready to pray, you're starting to maybe work through this, you know. Uh, you said seek my face i don't remember the verses but Rick said the word tells us to seek your face and okay Lord I seek your face you see now you're already your mind's already working on something it's got something you know um it's got something that you're working on so we respond to Christ's call to come to him Lord your face i seek you know we could think of The book of Esther, where Esther is going to have, you know, she takes a great risk. I mean, she asks for audience with the king when she hasn't been summoned, you know. And, you know, there's a a great risk there uh, because that was a no-no. But here, uh, I, I think it was, I might have been Matthew Henry himself maybe in his commentary where he says, it's like the Lord holds out the golden scepter. He's holding out the golden scepter to us, which would, have been, which would have been a sign, come. Hold out that golden scepter means it's, it's a sign to come. He holds out the golden scepter to us. If you're not familiar with uh, Esther, this is, illustration is failing you miserably, but I would say get familiar with Esther and you'll get it. Uh, uh, that's your assignment today. Uh, go read Esther. But at any rate, um, here we have the, um, the call to seek the Lord's face and the response. Now, the most lengthy uh, passage in this whole thing comes from Hebrews 10, and this is where we apply the gospel to prayer. You might be wondering, okay, where's the gospel coming from? We're just not going to get the gospel. No, we're getting the gospel, and the gospel applies to prayer. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but the gospel directly uh, applies to prayer. If there was no gospel, there really could be no prayer. Um, how, how can we say that? Well, how are we going to come? How can we be brought into God's presence? The answer is, can we? It's one of those ants It's one of those Sunday school answers where you're daydreaming and you didn't hear the question, and the teacher's looking right at you, and you discover that she's just called on you, and she wants you to answer for the whole class, and you don't even know what she's asked you. And a good answer in that moment is to say Jesus, and. You'll get it right a lot of the time, and no one will realize you've been fishing for the last 10 minutes, right? And this is one of those cases. Just say Jesus, just say Christ, and uh, you're going to get it right. How can we come into the presence of the sovereign of the universe? Answer is Christ. Look what's written there. Oh, Father, okay, your face, you have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face I seek. And oh, Father, since we have confidence now to enter the holy places by the blood of the Je- by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that He opened uh, for us through the curtain, you see those verses right there. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, now. Only, uh, you, you hear me say this all the time, only by being washed, in the, uh, washed by the atoning death of Christ can we have this kind of fellowship with the Lord. Last week, that's what we were talking about. When you, know, when you pray, our Father, uh, you know that, that, that our Father right there, fatherhood there is in an adoptive sense. You remember me talking about that? It's not in a creative sense. Not everybody can say our Father without falling into presumption. Uh, they would be approaching him when the golden scepter is not being offered to them. You know, There's a big difference there. I mean, this is this is like nails down the chalkboard in our current culture right now uh, because everybody believes they can just stroll into God's presence without Jesus. That's what the average person seems to believe, and we've got to change that. We've got to tell people that's not how this works uh, before it's too late because Um, God, uh, Psalm 5.4 says, this is one of the verses that would rebuke that. For you're not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. And evil is all we are until we're washed with the blood of Jesus. So we can't dwell with him until we have this atoning work of Christ. We can't. So without a faith commitment in Christ Jesus, we don't have a way opened up for us. We don't have the golden scepter being held out. Our first work actually is to, get, is to, is to receive Christ so that we have a way. But for those who have, uh, have received Christ, well, we have confidence enter the holy place. The holy places by the blood of Jesus um, the, the, if you look at my hand out there, the quote continues by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. I love this. It's not because I've prayed over this for I don't know how long. And one thing that always, that just always warms my heart as I'm doing this, it's not just a new way, but it's a living way. You know, the, the way is alive, It's breathing. It's not just new, but it's full of life. Uh, it's not just a, a new way, it's a living way that he opened for us through the curtain. What curtain? It's, it's, you know, in the temple, there's the holy place and then there's the most holy place, and between them was the curtain. And, you know, when Jesus dies on the cross, what happens to that curtain? It gets torn in two. And what is that teaching us? It teaches us that the believer now can go right in, to the most intimate place, you can now go right in and have this fellowship with God. You couldn't do that before. Only the high priest could go in there, and only once a year, and only after a whole battery of purification rites and sacrifices and what have you. But when Jesus gives up His Spirit on the cross, that tent, that curtain is torn in two, that way is opened up, uh, through the curtain, that is through his flesh, by what he does in, in our place, it is opened up, and it's not just a new way, but it's a living way. There's some fodder for prayer right now. I commend that to you. Uh, um, and look, look what comes next, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Our hearts sprinkled clean. Let me, let me read this. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's all about assurance of pardon. You hear me talk about assurance of pardon when we have Communion. It's assurance that our, it's, our sins not only are forgiven, but we're, we're clean. We can come. Um, if you're in Christ, you're clean. So what a glorious way. Um, and, and then here's an utterance of praise that follows. After the parentheses, Hebrews ten nineteen to 22 in my handout. Oh, what a glorious way that has been opened for us to come into your presence. And the next line is, consecrate our hearts and lips that we honor you with both. Consecrate our hearts and lips that we honor you with both. Now, I'm getting that from Matthew 15.8. And you don't need to turn to Matthew 15.8. But uh, again, this is the same principle that's being used with Isaiah 64. In Matthew 15.8, Jesus is being indicted by the Pharisees and the scribes for not washing before they eat. And it's not the same thing that we would get maybe from our grandmother when we were kids and we've been playing outside and who knows what and we come into the table she calls us to come come to eat and we run right to the table and they say well young man what do you think you're doing uh, get up and watch them pause it's not the same thing um, what's going on there is they had uh, their tradition and they were elevating their tradition uh, above scripture and And uh, they had these purification rites that they had developed where you would uh, purify your hands uh, before you eat. And Jesus and his disciples are not um, dancing to that tune. And they reprimand Jesus for it. And Jesus sternly rebukes them. In verse 7, he says, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, verse 8, This people honors me with their lips... But their heart is far from me. Now, uh, again, um, our, our text in the handout is taking the contrast of this. What's it mean to consecrate? To consecrate means to make something holy, uh, to set something apart for sacred use, if you will. Uh, Jesus is declaring the lips and hearts of the Pharisees and scribes as unholy, as profane, as unclean. And the converse is the call on the Lord to. Do the opposite with ours. Uh, Here we're in this posture. We're drawing near to the Lord. We're seeking His face so that we can have conversation with Him, right? And we're asking Him to bless our lips and our hearts because it's out of the heart that the mouth speaks, isn't it? And we're asking Him to bless our hearts and our lips so that what comes forth out of our mouth will be holy and pleasing in His sight, so consecrate our hearts and lips that we may have holy conversation with You, O Lord. Does that make sense? That's not a, not a bad request. Um, Any time we're praying, Lord, consecrate my consecrate my thoughts and my heart and my and my lips, Lord, that our conversation, that my conversation would be holy. Um, the next reference, I think, will be easy. May we now worship You in spirit and truth for Your. Spirit, and those who worship you must worship you in spirit and truth, for you seek such people to worship you. That's just coming from Jesus' uh, conversation with the Samaritan woman, which we have studied in John, and you can look at that. Um, I only say what I've said a couple of times, is worship must be kept a close companion to prayer. And you'll find, I think if you start using the Word of God this way in your prayer and your approach, you're going to find, you're going to lapse into, you're going to find yourself just worshiping. Uh, You'll find yourself just sitting in and, and that'll be great, um, where you're just adoring him, adoring him for these truths that are in his word, adoring him for, these, for the fact that he's opened up a way for us, given us a savior, he's given us audience, he's bid us to come to him. Um, and here we have it all in writing before us, um, which takes us to a, really the last couple of lines of the handout there. Let us by your grace stir our hearts to love you. With all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength—I'm not going to say much about that because we're going to be studying that on Wednesday nights here really soon. Uh, I'm just going to uh, say here we're calling on the Lord to stir uh, our hearts that we would grow in our love for Him. Uh, If you're like me, you can conceive of loving Him more than you do. Um, I can conceive of loving the Lord more than I currently do. To my shame, we should love Him uh, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, but. Um, remnant of sin being as such still dwelling in our hearts? We don't, do we? Um, So um, there's much work to be done. Now in conclusion here this isn't going to happen overnight. I'll tell you this doesn't happen overnight. You may just take one line of this. You may just take Lamentations 341 tomorrow morning and say, Heavenly Father let us lift up our hearts and hands to you uh, who are in heaven um, and off you go in your time of prayer, uh, and the Lord may use that. He may not use it. Well, you 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 may find yourself going a little further, or you may find yourself really, you know, maybe Hebrews is touching you so much, and you just skip down to it. You say, "Our Father, since we have confidence, you know, I come to you this morning, and I can come to you with confidence—a confidence that has been that's been afforded me by the very blood and death of Christ." you, you see where this is going? You see, now you're putting this in your own words. You've got the verse right there in front of you. And there you are. You're now approaching him in prayer. You've got some, uh, some fodder, if you will. I find this to be really helpful. This is just one of the approaches that I use. I have a number of these. Um, and if you like, I can bring more of them. But um, I, I, have them, I have them for other seasons. Um, I have them for Bible reading. Uh, I have one for preparation and teaching that I use constantly. And I want to share it with our Sunday school teachers on some given Wednesday night uh, soon uh, because I think you could use it. You know, you prepare lessons. Uh, even though you're maybe not necessarily writing these lessons, you're still preparing to teach those lessons. And here's the thing. I find that I can't remember to pray for all the things I should be praying for. So it helps me to have a sheet with a number of points that I've added to over time. And with one glance, I can look at all of these things that I I should be praying for uh, with Bible verses connected to them. And uh, I find this to be enormously helpful. Um, Again, uh, keep in mind these notes that are in the shaded green area. Um, this is not—it's not a pre-written prayer that we're just going to be like reading this mindlessly and thoughtlessly and doing it three times in a row and expecting something to happen. That's not what this is. Um, that I, I think we we know that. But as we um, as we come to it, I think in the posture of prayer, um, hopefully it will bless you as much. This has blessed me. This has been more like a Bible study than a sermon. I feel like I should ask if there are any questions, but uh, um, I didn't know any other way to uh, introduce it. And if there are any, if there are any, I'll, you know, after I close us in prayer, I'll ask if there are any questions. If we have any, because you might have questions with us, and I'll take them if you do. So um, let me close us in prayer, and Donald can lead us in our last song, and then I'll, I'll ask if you have any questions. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, and we praise you, Father, for your word instructs us in every uh, capacity of our lives. You, Lord, have, um, you've taught us to pray, you've given us fodder or four prayers we see this morning, and this is really, Lord, we're just thinking about of our approach. We haven't really talked about praise, uh, we haven't talked about uh, Thanksgiving, we haven't talked, although it's there, Father, it's it's. We find ourselves praising you. We find ourselves offering words of thanks. We find ourselves, Lord, um, offering supplication already, Lord, uh, not only for ourselves but for our brothers and sisters in the faith. So, Father, we pray that you use this, Lord. Use this, Father. And this is just one approach of many. Father, help us to use this, Lord, that our prayer time could be a really advanced, Father, for your glory and for our own personal edification. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.